And, um, you know, when, it, when I think about how God has moved in the world, generally he has revealed himself. You know, we saw that through that song that Joe just sang, that, that God created everything that we see. And, and, and without a doubt, you know, any thinking person will recognize that the world is so magnificent and the, it's so vast that there is a designer to all this. The, the, uh, the idea that there is no God is just not intellectually credible because how could such design come accidentally? There's no way. But, but God, in all his wisdom, didn't just generally reveal himself. He specifically revealed himself. And he, you know, we call it the incarnation coming up at Christmas time. We're going to look at the incarnation, the idea that God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Because God wanted us to know who he is and what he was like. So he came here. And he specifically revealed himself by, by then leaving his Holy Spirit, who, who then inspired men that walked with him, and they, and they put it to pen. That, and we know this as the New Testament, the new covenant that we've been given. And it's amazing how God has, is interacting with us, and we can sit with him, and we are strengthened by him, and, and we, we have learned to follow his voice and, and pay attention to him and walk with him. It's amazing. And, and you know, it's, it's amazing. Just in the last few weeks, a few weeks ago, we called our church to 71 days of prayer. And I hope that that's what you're doing. I hope you, you join us daily by, by praying for our church and praying for the Lord to move. And, and can I just tell you, we, we sat in staff meeting this week and just said, let's look at this. We, we've asked our church to pray. And, and then, uh, you know, today we have two more baptisms in the second service. We, we've seen our baptismal waters stirred every week since we've done this. You know, we, we prayed about our, our Calvary outreach last Sunday night. We, we show up in Tulsa, and, and we didn't know what was going to uh, happen. We, we bought 300 hot dogs and ran out in about real quick. We had to run to Walmart and buy more hot dogs. And we're like, get some dogs here. Let's go. And uh, Brad had to go get ice. We were just scrambling because we had so many people. Over 600 people came. And, and just, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Because, you know, just injecting ourselves into a community saying, hey, we're here, we want to point you to Christ. And, and, and I want us to not miss the fact that, that we've called our church to 71 days of prayer. And, and when you go to your knees, my goodness, things happen. You know, we've been in this series in the churches at Revelation. And, and, and really we're trying to look at what God says to these churches so we can become the church God wants us to be. I mean, isn't that what you want to do? I mean, be the church that God wants us to be? You know, don't, don't you want to run that kind of race? And, and who is the church? It's us. It's us. You and I. You and I. We're the church. And, and for us to live in this world, live during the, the days that we've been given, the, these days that, that the older I get come so fast. Oh, my goodness, so fast. I mean, I, I, I sat down and thought, oh, my goodness, we're almost to 2018. Are you kidding me? 2018. And, and God is, is, 
at work in our lives, and we got work to do. And for us to learn how to be the church, God's called us to be. We're in this in Revelation chapter 2. Turn with me there, uh, if you would. The book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. We know the Apostle John. He identifies himself in Revelation 1-4. John was uh, uh, one of the disciples, one of the apostles. He walked with Jesus. And I, and I love John. I think it's important to understand things about John. He was the, the one disciple that never left Jesus. And he never left him. You know, remember when he was arrested and all the, all the disciples, they, they, they split. They got out of there. John never left. That's the kind of church I pray we are. That when it gets tough, we go, God, we're not leaving. We're going to follow you. I love that about John. He was known as one of the sons of thunder. You know, he made a lot of mistakes. We, we read of that in Scripture some of the mistakes that he made. But John, man, he, he was given the revelation. And it's interesting as you think about the Holy Spirit inspired him to pen these words. And, and he wrote to these seven churches that existed. And they were real churches that, that lived and, and that were serving in these various communities. And, and there's so many aspects to Revelation because it's a figurative book. Uh, it's apocalyptic literature. So you got to recognize that God is speaking in ways that that he he's speaking about real things, but he's he's writing in a creative way. John is, and God led him to do that. And as we look at why John wrote the book of Revelation and what God was doing, he was he was trying to encourage the early church who was being persecuted. I mean, they were they were facing difficulties, and John is is <coughs> excuse me pinning these words to a to a church that's facing difficult times. Um, he was trying to correct some false teaching, some false beliefs that the church was holding. And I'll tell you, we've got to always be careful about false teaching, false beliefs, because a lot of people hold the false things, things that aren't true. They believe things that aren't in Scripture, and, and we've got to make sure that we understand this, and John was correcting these things. Um, John was also writing in the book of Revelation about, about the last days of history. And that's the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. It's, 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 um, it's a picture of the last days of human history. And let me tell you something. There's going to be a day that human history comes to an end. And to live our lives as, a, as the people of God with this sense of urgency, with this passion that says, God, we will follow you, we will walk with you, we will know you, we will, we will represent you as ambassadors for Christ, and we will not be complacent or, or just, um, uh, just living a, a normal Christian life, a boring Christian life. And we, I say this all the time, that if you are bored as a follower of Christ, something is desperately wrong. Those are two things that don't go together. You can't be bored and live by faith. I mean, God leads you to take these steps of faith. And, and when I think about, uh, you know, that bumper, I'm like, golly, that wakes me up. It's epic, right? Wakes me up. I pray we're a church that, Lord, we're awake. We are focused. We are passionate. We're walking with you. Would you stand with me as we read today? Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to read a chunk here, 12 through 29. We're going to take a quick look at two of these churches. Verse 12 says this, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, 
where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who have taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw, throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each according to your works." But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now as we follow the Lord, I, I, I pray that we're... We're careful to never forget that we have a real enemy. Um, Jesus said these words, and John wrote them down in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief comes, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, or have it more abundantly, it says. And, you know, when I think about the attacks that we face from, from the evil one, from the enemy, I, I mean, Satan is going to do a lot of things. He's going to, you know, for many people in our, in our intellectual society, in our culture that we're so sophisticated and we explain everything, Satan tries to help us understand that he doesn't even exist. Oh, he's not real. Satan's not real. 
You know, Satan will often come at us like we looked at last week, if you were with us. Uh, the, he'll come at us with persecution and, and, and try to squelch our voice, squelch what God's doing in our life because we're fearful. Just this week, um, Thursday, we had a guy come and speak to our staff, who, who uh, Peter Yasik, I believe is the way you say his last name. He was just imprisoned. Voice of the Martyrs has brought him here, and, and he sat with our staff Thursday and talked about being uh, imprisoned for his faith for 400 days, and he just got out. So we think persecution, oh, that's one day. Folks, that's two day, two day in many parts of the world. And I couldn't help but feel like the biggest pansy Christian as I sat there and listened to him share his story of being imprisoned with people from ISIS and beaten because he said he was a Christian. But God moved. God protected him. And he said, and, and he talked about, oh, it was such a joy to lead people to Christ in that setting. And I'm thinking, goodness gracious. Here he is getting, taking a beating because of his faith. And he's like, what a joy how God moved. And, and I, Satan will sometimes silence us with persecution. You know, Satan also will come at us and move us to believe the wrong things. And folks, it's important that we understand and hear the word of the, to these churches. Right here, Pergamum and, and Thyatira. Let's look at these for a minute. Um, Pergamum was quite a city. I mean, it was, it was sort of the big apple of, of Asia Minor. It was wealthy. It was, it was fashionable. You could make big money there. I mean, it was the epicenter of culture, and, and it was an incredible place. It was the medical center of Asia. Fascinating place, uh, an amazing city. There was, there was a library there with 200,000 volumes of books. And when you think about how difficult it was, they didn't have a printing press like we do. They couldn't cut and paste. I mean, this is a, this is a big deal to write a book. And they had 200,000 volumes there. Pergamon was an incredible, interesting city. It, it had a reputation of being the sin city. And, and it was, um, you know, Jesus calls it here the seat of Satan. It's the place where Satan sits. And, and it's interesting about, about Pergamum. They had this big 40-foot altar of Zeus that was right outside the city. And here's just an interesting fact. Uh, in the late 1800s or so, Germany was really fascinated with archaeology. And they were digging up all kinds of stuff. And you know what's interesting? They, they found this, they, they excavated this, and they, they took it and displayed it. And to this day, it's displayed in East Berlin. Went there around the 1900s. Isn't it interesting? You know who came out of East Berlin just 40 years later? Hitler. And it's interesting that the place where the seat of Satan was on display, Hitler comes out of there. Um. I think that's just interesting. I don't know if there's any theological significance, but probably so. Um, you know, it's interesting about Pergamum. The name actually means, and this is interesting, the two Greek words, per, which means completely and thoroughly, and gamos, which means marriage. And, and the, the idea of Pergamum was that they were completely married to the world. 
And, and when I think about that, I, I think about this church that was struggling with, with being completely married to the world. Now, now, I'm not talking about, I mean, we hear, you know, sometimes we get up and go, oh, yeah, we got, we're just like the world. We're like, we got lights and sound and, and you know, you know, some churches have smoke machines and, oh, they're just like the world. It's not talking about that. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about our, our lives look just like the world. That we live just like the world. So let's not miss the application of, because who's the church? The church is not the place we meet. Because I'll tell you what, if this building is destroyed in a good old Oklahoma tornado, guess what? This church is fine. This church is rolling. This church has got work to do. If, if North Korea drops one of those, I don't know, those bombs that make all our electricity go out or whatever, I don't know what it's called. Hey, we're fine. The church is at work. That means we got more work to do. You know, or we have just as much work to do now. We just may think we have more work to do. We got work to do, folks. But the church, Pergamon, it's interesting. It was just like the world. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, I, we got to feel that today. Thyatira was, was an interesting city. It was, uh, it was this unimportant city. You know, it's, it's, it was a small town. This would be like, uh, I think when my father-in-law served in Arkansas, Bucksnord, Arkansas. Anybody ever been there? You know, uh, one of those places, Toadsuck, Arkansas. I think that's one of them. Uh, I can't remember all those places. But I loved watching the weather in Arkansas. I'm like, wow, someone's really proud of that town. Sweet. But Thyatira was a small town. It was a kamikaze city in many ways because they were, they were the first city that would be attacked. And the, the, they put that out there because if someone went to attack them, they would hit Thyatira first. And then they, we could, they, other cities could prepare. It was a small town. It was not very important. And you know what? I think probably when John gets this message from the Lord that you're going to write to Thyatira, he's like, really? Huh. Okay. You know why I think that's significant? Because God's at work everywhere. Sometimes we think about big churches and go, oh, well, those are important churches. No, God's at work everywhere. He's at work in Tallahassee, Oklahoma, where we have family from. He's at work in Owasso and New York City and everywhere. God's at work. And Thyatira was this, like Godibo, Oklahoma, or Bowlegs, but, but God was at work there. And they had a role to play there. And I think that's important. And, and you know, when there's other biblical information about Thyatira. Remember um, this lady who gets saved uh, in, she, she, in Philippi, Philippians, we talk about her. Her name was Lydia. And she was from Thyatira. And it's likely that after she came to faith in Christ, she goes back to her small town and starts a church. And, and God's using that church there. And, but, but here's the problem with these two churches. Here, here was the struggle, though there were incredible things said about them. And just for the sake of time, we can't unpack everything about these specific passages. And, but, there's, but I would challenge you to go study these. There's so many interesting aspects to these churches. But do but you know what's common between them? They got off track. They started following false teaching. And folks, it's important for us as a church. If we're going to be the church God wants us to be, we can't follow false teaching. 
we, we got to pay attention to what we're, we're learning and what we're teaching. And, and, and so often, many churches, people go and just accept everything that's being taught. And, and yeah, I'm a preacher, and I'm telling you, you ought to listen to the things we're teaching. If I ever get off track from this book, you ought to call me out. You ought to say, time out. That doesn't gel with what's here. But you know what I see all over our nation, this warning to us all over during our times of, of Internet and so much information. And, you know, there's a tendency to believe the wrong things. And, and I, so here's point number one today, if you're following in our, our notes. The Bible, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, the Bible must remain the solid standard for life. I mean, God's word must remain the solid standard. It's why when we have a, a guideline for everybody that gets up in this pulpit that, that we're going to obviously be in the word of God. You're going to have to come and look up your, have your Bible with you. You know, we, we, we could, not because it's just checking off some religious box. We need God's word. You don't need my words. You don't need my advice. I don't need my advice. My advice stinks a lot to myself. Have you noticed that? That sometimes you give advice to yourself and you're the worst one to do it, right? We need, God. We need something outside of us to give us advice. And who is that? The one that created the stars. The one that set things in motion. He'd probably be pretty good to listen to, right? But you see, look back at verse 12. It says this, to the angel of the church at Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Okay, this was a relatively new invention in, in the time of, of you know, it was a, it was a, it was a significant uh, a piece of weaponry, the two-edged sword. I mean, when they finally figured that out, that you could cut this way and this way. Hey, let's use that bad boy. That's good. Let's use that. And, and look what he says, that Revelation 1.16 talks about that Christ says that out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. And, 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 and really what that is, what that is it's, it's a reference to the word of truth. You know, I mean, all through the scripture we understand what God's word is. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Isn't that incredible? I mean, the word of God is this powerful gift that we've been given. And now, now, there's some of you in here today that may disagree with this next statement because I would tell you that most people do. Most people in our world would disagree with me with what I'm about to say, that the Word of God is absolute truth. And folks, we, we live in a world that no longer believes that. They, 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 they'll say things like, oh, well, you know what, it's, it, truth is relative. You know, it depends on what the situation is if something is true or not. Or that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Well, well here's, here's the, was the problem of Pergamum and Thyatira. That, that, that they started getting off track. They lost sight of a, 
of a, of a foundation. They got off their foundation. Now, now for, for us as a church, we have come to the, the conviction that the Word of God is absolute truth. And it's important for us to have the truth conviction of the Bible. And I think that if you don't, you'll be, you'll be quick to follow the example of the people, not the building, the people of Pergamum and Thyatira. So what do I mean by this, by absolute truth? I'm going to give you a couple of de- definitions. It's going to be on the screen behind me that, that, that we believe the Word of God is inspired this is what, we mean, what I mean by that, that, that God directed these words to be written. It's inspired by God. Some people will say, oh, you know, the Bible is just written by man. Well, God used men, absolutely. But the Holy Spirit inspired them, led them, guided them like he does us. And this is why once you get a taste of, of the Holy Spirit strengthening you and guiding you, you're like, dude, i got to get more of this i got to do this every day. The, the Word of God is inspired. God directed these words to be written. The Word of God is infallible. Here's what I mean by that. From start to finish, the Holy Spirit uses it for direction in everyday life. It's infallible. God's Word can direct you. And I see this all the time when, when I'm struggling with a decision or, or wrestling with, with what to do. God's Word speaks God's Word, God uses His Word. His Holy Spirit will use His Word to guide you in your life. And it's amazing. God's Word is inerrant, inerrant. And this is what I mean by that. When all the facts are known, the Scriptures in their original autographs and properly interpreted will be wholly true in every affirmation. Let me say it again. when, When all the facts are known, the scripture in their original autographs and properly interpreted will be wholly true in every aff- affirmation. You know, and I hear a lot of people that will say, you know, Chris, the, the Bible came together like in the 400s. How do we know this is the inspired word of God? And, and you may, you may that, that may be an argument you've heard. So let me do a quick commercial. Um, in January, on Wednesday nights, starting at 6 o'clock, right when our first of the year starts, Rob Lewis and I are putting together a class on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7.30 on how this collection of books came to be known as the Word of God. We're going to trace it through history. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna strive to answer every question that, that the world throws at us to discredit this book. And so I hope you put that on your calendar on Wednesday nights. And we're, we're going to tape it, and we're going to record it, and we'll have that available and, and all that stuff. But, but, but it's important for our church to come to the recognition of how we can trust this book. And I want you to know you can trust it. Now, as you look at these churches, they, they got off track. Now, now, when you see what God had said to them, there's going to be something you're going to notice when you go back and study these in detail and look at, at what God said to the churches at Pergamum and Thyatira. And, and this is why point number two is important, that God plays, excuse me, God pays close attention to our beliefs and practices. God sees what we do. God pays attention to what we believe and what we do in our lives. You know that, right? You can't hide anything from his sight. 
He knows what we hold, and this is why the beliefs we hold, the practices we, we engage in, and this is why I'll say it like this all the time, that, that whenever I find a belief that I hold, and some of our beliefs we hold passionately, but whenever I find a belief that is contrary to what the Scripture says, I am compelled to change my beliefs to line up with Scripture. Whenever I find a practice in my life that goes against what God has written, I am compelled to align my practices with God's word. And that's who we are. That's who we must be. When I look at what God says to these churches, it's important that we don't miss this. Look back at verse 14 because look where they got off track. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. If you look at the Old Testament story of of Balaam, they intentionally led God's people astray. And I'll tell you, when I hear that, it draws me to my knees, folks, because I think about that if I lead this church astray, and I, I mean, I'm going to give an account as a pastor. The scripture tells me, because I've, I've heard the call of God to be a pastor. And, and the scripture tells me that I am judged more harshly. And so I hear this, and I think, man, Lord, I, I don't want to lead this church astray. But, but what happened, the church, they... They followed them. They followed the teachers that are led astray, that, that, that led them astray. And, and, and what I want to challenge, uh, it's a challenge for me to be a pastor that doesn't do that. But it's a challenge for, for you to never allow a pastor to do that. And so let's hear that. Let's connect with that. He says, look at, um, at, at the next verse. He says, so also you have, you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, we don't know who those people are. We don't know them. We don't know all the things the Nicolaitans did. We think that they were false teachers leading into sexual sin and, and embracing sexual immorality and, and, and all these things. And, but but verse, look at verse 19 and 20. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. I mean, you see Thyatira, they were growing. They had... They, they, that their latter works were better than their first works. But look at verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Uh, I mean, do you see that word tolerate? That, that word tolerate is, 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 is his rebuke to the church for, for, for not challenging false doctrine. And folks, this is why I pray that we're a church that says, hey, look, we're going to challenge false teaching. And and it's interesting as as we process this. Now, folks, here's the reality. I I spent some time a couple weeks ago with a a young man that was in my Sunday school class when he was a sophomore in high school. And now he's the dean of theology at OBU and went to Oxford and is like, crazy smart, and, and, you know, he was, we were in a meeting the other day, and he said to me, Oklahoma Baptist University, 
the Old Testament professors and the New Testament professors that, that work for Heath Thomas. He said, Chris, we've got to change our curriculum because the kids are, are kids that are coming from our churches. They don't know who Samson was. They don't know who Moses was. They don't understand. They don't know. They don't even know the narrative of the Bible. And this is why I love our students have gone to Super Summer and have been challenged. Our, our teenagers have been challenged. Read the book. Know what it says. And, and, and it's interesting to me that, that we are a people that will say, oh, I believe the Bible, but we've never read it. Have you read it? Go through it. There, there's so many plans of the one-year Bible. Go through the one-year Bible. Go do that. Let's know this book. Now, Steve Green, when he was here, the owner of Hobby Lobby and opening the Museum of the Bible, he made the statement that, that we live in the most biblically illiterate society in history. And we do. Even with Google. You can Google anything you want. But we live in a biblically illiterate society, the most biblically illiterate society in history. We live in a time when the Bible is minimized. We live in a time when preachers are coming up with new words from God. And we forget the old word from God. And I'll tell you, this is, some, this is a pressure that, that is out there. Man, i got to come up with something new, something nobody has heard. And, and really what we need to do is just teach the word of God. And we live in a time of progressive false doctrine. I mean, I mean doctrines, doctrine matters. What you believe matters. And what our church teaches matters. And, and, and so I think it's important that we... we Understand that because of our times we live in, and hear this, we must test our teachers. And this is the problem. This is what happened in Thyatira, Pergamum. They just embraced false teaching. And, and, and I pray we can learn this, that, that God is moving us to understand his word and to live by it, and to follow his Holy Spirit, and to walk with him. And I'll tell you, if we do this, if I do this as a pastor, if our pastors and our staff at our church do this, if our congregation learns how to do this, I'll tell you what, when Jesus does return, boy, we'll be right in the middle of his will. Don't you want to be right in the middle of his will the day Jesus comes back or the day you meet him? The day you meet Jesus, don't you want to be right in the middle of his will? Just the other day, I found in my office, I mean, you ever found something in your office that was there the whole time? Right? Have you ever done that? I did that. I found my, my journal of my trip to Africa. Emily had just been born, and, and I was taking this stuff called larium so I wouldn't get malaria. And, and one of the side effects for Larry is that you start to uh, get really, like, freak out about life. And you're, like, get, it just messes with your brain. And, and I'm, I'm laying in bed at night thinking, I'm going to die. I'm never going to see my daughter again. And I, I remember that side effect. I said, if I get malaria, I don't care. I'm, I'm not taking this again. I'm not taking one more pill of this larium. But, but I wrote in my journal, God, I'm a little nervous. And then it was, it's funny, have you ever, you got a journal because sometimes God uses you to speak to you, right? 
and, and I wrote this out. I said, well, God, I, I guess if I go um, sharing the gospel in Africa would not be a bad way to, to go. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget point number three. We must never forget that God is the ultimate judge of our work in Owasso and Tulsa. And we got to not, God loves us. I want you to know he loves you. And, and I hear a lot of preachers that will say, God loves you. And those are all true. Those are all true. God loves you so much. He loves you so much, he entered human history to die for you. Greater love is no one that he would give his life for his friends, right? He loves you. But, but don't forget, we're going to give an account. He's not our buddy. He's our Savior and Lord. And more than likely, I'm, I'm pretty sure that when we see Jesus face to face, we're not going to go, what's up, man? Good to see you. I think we're going to go, you're, you're my Lord. I think that's what we're going to do. And so I, I don't want us to get, to forget that to whom much is given, much is required. That God expects us to serve him. And, and without an apology that God, I'm not saying you have to earn your way to heaven. No, we don't earn our way to heaven. We don't earn our way to, to glory. And we don't deserve heaven. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation, right? But, folks, he loves you. He's called us to be the church that he wants us to be. Do you, do you trust him? Do you trust what he's written? Is his spirit moving you? If, you? if he came back today, would you be in the spot, you're like, oh, man. Like, oh. Or would you be like, hey, Lord, I was, I was swinging for the fence. I was running my race with perseverance. I mean, that's the kind of church we, we must be. So that's why we got to hear these words, repent, come back to him, follow him. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. And as you stand, we're going to have an invitation, and, and maybe you just need to come and pray. Maybe you just need to come and pray for strength or pray for repentance or forgiveness or maybe you just need to come and give, give your life to Jesus. Oh, my goodness. If, if you're like, wait, Something's going on in my heart. I, there's something in me that says, hey, that's true. I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit just drawing you, saying, hey, come to me. Come and be forgiven. Come and walk with me. Uh, don't, don't, don't turn away his voice. If God is speaking to you, we're gonna, our staff's going to be down front, and we'd love to take you outside of this room and, and just process with you what God is saying how you can follow him. But our altars are open. We ought to come get on our knees. I mean, I'm, Billy, I'm so proud of you. I want to pray with you today just for what we talked about this week.
Maybe you just need to pray like Billy and I are about his, man, I want to be a witness. He called this week. I want to be a witness, Lord, where I work. I want to represent you where I work. And the brokenness in his heart about the people he works with that don't know Christ. Maybe that's where you are. And let's live by this book.